Are you enjoying your summer? Okay, okay. You sound about the same as me, right? Summer's supposed to be a time of checking out a bit and having the uh, trips maybe. Anybody travel yet this summer? Yep. No? Okay, okay. Backyard barbecues at least? Well, we've actually had one day of summer so far. That was Friday, right? Right, where the sun actually came out for a few minutes and, and made us all hot and remember what summer's about. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, I've been sick. Uh, sick and survival would be my summer so far. And uh, people have asked me, are you going to take a break sometime? And I said, I'll rest when I'm dead. Uh, but... Um, yeah, that's why I'm doing this timeout series, because those that can't do teach, you may have heard that before. But anyway, uh, I'm going to take a break in February for uh, a couple of weeks, but when I think about timeout, that's the series that we're in right now, and if you missed the first two messages, you can go to our app, you can go to our YouTube channel, you can go to our website and catch up uh, on all of that. But when I think about this season, I, gotta, I asked you, what does it look like in your life? What does it look like to take time out? Have you done that over these holidays? I talk to a lot of people, and this whole idea of refreshment time, where you're supposed to take some time out and relax, is actually more a time of exhaustion. People seem to be running crazy. They've got kids are home from school. Isn't that great? Right? And I'm just getting a lot of shaking their heads no here. You're counting the days now until the kids go back to school already. Because it's great to have them home. You love the kids. You made the kids, right? And it's wonderful to have them there. But it's also wonderful to get a few hours during the day when they're not there. Because they get bored, right? I used to tell my dad that I was bored. And he would say, you're boring. So I was like, <laughs> okay. So now you know where I get it, right? The... Uh, the the jokes and stuff. But anyway, when we come to this season where we're supposed to be refreshed, I think that we've spent a lot of energy already in the hosting the parties and the going to parties and going and going and going and going. And then we get to this place where we're supposed to go, it takes some time out. And some of us are sick when that happens. But there are also realities that some of those things that we did Cause some pain. The holidays bring reminders of fractured relationships and families. And, of course, then when you sit on social media because you're trying to avoid the fractured family that you're sitting around, and you start seeing everybody else's perfect families and their perfect events and all that, then you think, what's wrong with me? Why do they have it so well? And why does my life so kind of ordinary at best? Anybody relate to any of this? And you know what it leaves us? leaves us this question. Are you weary? Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? The reason uh, is, is because you've been going so hard. And then we get to season and we feel weary. We feel overwhelmed and exhausted. And we're still carrying burdens that we carried into that season. We sat them on the shelf for a few minutes so that we could do all the things and front up to all the things that you're supposed to do during that season. And then you brought all that back to this season of rest. If you can relate to that, I want you to listen to these often quoted famous words from Jesus. He said, then Jesus said, come to me, 
all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. (sighs) Isn't that lovely? Isn't that simple? Is it done? Come to me, all of you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, for some people, we crave this. We crave that rest that Jesus will give. Some of you, today, you came in weary. You came in carrying heavy burdens. And already, just by being reminded today that Jesus said this, you actually feel some comfort. And you could go away from here right now saying, yes, yes, I need to come to him because I'm weary and heavy burdened. And I can be comforted by the promise that he will give me rest. But there are some of you who are sitting there thinking, yeah, I want that. I'm desperate for that. But that's not my experience. I've tried to come to Jesus and tell him, hey, I need that rest here. Here's my, I'm weary, here's my burdens. But I'm finding rest a little different. So the question then you gotta ask is, do you find rest elusive? Even though Jesus says, I'll give you rest, do you find that rest elusive in your life where it never happens, where you never get there? You know, if that's you, sadly, it can leave us even more disheartened. It can leave us, if we're honest, doubtful, even about some of the things Jesus says, because I'm not experiencing that rest, but Jesus said I will give you rest. So how do I reconcile that? Anybody? Anybody online? You say, hey, that's me. That's me. Type it in the chat. It's okay to be honest. We'll get to there in just a few minutes. But today, if we're going to resolve that tension of finding rest elusive, which I, I think more of us than not probably fit that category, or maybe I'm just projecting my own self onto all of you. I think that the key for us to understand this and unpack this is that we, we need to know what Jesus really meant. And we need to go back to the first three words of that verse where it says, then Jesus said. Those three words are vital to us understanding because the word then tells us something. It tells us that there is a context for this statement. What was going on before the then? That's what we're going to look at to start with, get a little bit of background. Then we're going to unpack what Jesus said there. In Matthew 11, verse 25, just before the verse where he says that, it says at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. So what is that talking about? It says, at that time, Jesus prayed. Jesus is speaking to a crowd here, and in the middle of his sermon, if you will, or his chat with them, he breaks out into prayer. And Jesus' prayer is actually about the disappointing results of his ministry. You see that in there? That's what's going on. He has been presenting himself, speaking here to crowds who rejected him. In verse 19, just before this, It says this, wisdom is shown to be right by its results. He goes on to say, the results that you have seen when you looked at me and you watched what I did 
should have been enough to get you to follow me, to understand, to accept me. But instead, you rejected me. It says this in verse 23 and 24. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Now, if you're not a church person, you're thinking, what in the world is this Sodom thing and all that? Sodom was a city. It was a very wicked city that God actually destroyed. We have an account of that in the Old Testament when Abraham was on his journey with God. He destroyed the city of Sodom. And Jesus says, if the people of Sodom, who were so wicked that God destroyed them, if they had seen the miracles that you have seen, they'd still be here today. And in the end judgment, it's gonna be better for them than it is for you because you have more information, more opportunity, more exposure to the truth than they did. That's what Jesus is saying. So in verse 25, when he breaks into this prayer, that's what's on his mind. They had rejected him. They had seen the proof. They had seen the miracles and refused to follow, re refused to repent. <clears throat> Jesus here is talking to everybody, but very specifically, he's calling out some religious leaders here. And he says this in verse 25, it says, the wise and the clever. And he's thanking God for hiding them from the wise and the clever. We'll get to that part in just a minute. But the wise are people who prided themselves in their philosophical arguments, being able uh, to wax eloquent about things that maybe don't even really matter, uh, the, the meaning of life and stuff like that, which does matter, by the way. And then the clever people he's talking about, those are the people who are very shrewd, maybe sharp business people who are gonna take advantage of everybody. He's talking to those people, and he's saying, you guys are the ones that rejected me. It's very interesting note here. Jesus said, thank you to God for hiding it from them. What he's saying is, God, thank you for the rejection. Thank you that those people didn't accept me. You know, I find that very strange because when I feel rejection, that's not my first port of call is to go and thank God for being rejected. Anybody else? When you feel rejected, you're like, hey, hey, hang on a minute. When people don't respond, when people don't engage, it's not natural to thank God. But Jesus said, I'm going to thank him for this. I'm going to thank the Father for this because I'm yielding to his plan and his will. And his plan and his will is to say, hey, those people are rejected, so I'm going to go to the childlike. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm actually well now, in case you're wondering. So he goes to the childlike. The childlike are people who are unassuming. They're conscience, conscious that they don't have all the answers. They don't have it figured out. And they're actually willing to receive. They're willing to try something different and, and assume that they don't already have all the knowledge and that someone else might be able to show them a new way. That's who Jesus is saying he was revealed to. And Jesus uses children as the example of people that the world sees as insignificant. Now, we would never say children are insignificant, but we wouldn't necessarily think that they are the wise ones, right? I'm looking at some wise kids up here right now. My, my grandchildren, they're so beautiful, and they're talking, and I love them. Anyway, and they're so wise. Anyway, moving on. Jesus is talking to those who will look beyond the tradition, 
who will look beyond the traditional teaching and the things that uh, were, were being promoted by the religious leaders and listen to him. That's who Jesus was look, looking for. Who is open to that? Those who are tired, who have found maybe the religious system burdensome and it has made them weary. Are you getting the picture now? Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens from that religious system and I'll give you rest. That's what Jesus is saying. Those who need relief. Into that context, Jesus says those words. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Looking at a few of those words where he says, come to me. The Greek word there is deut, and it means to move towards. That's simple. Come is to move towards. But when you think about coming somewhere, going somewhere, someone says, come to me, what do you have to do? If I said, come, wow, wow. If I said, come to me, you would have to get up from where you were and come up here. You would have to move. You would have to change direction. If you're walking the other way and I say, come to me, you're probably going to say, nah, can't be bothered. But if you did decide to come to me, you would have to turn around and walk this way, right? That's really com complicated, right? Why don't we do it? Why don't we do it when Jesus says, come to me? It requires a change of direction. Now, some people would promote this as a command where Jesus says, then Jesus said, come to me. They said, Jesus is commanding people, come to me. I don't think the tone is that at all. I think it's an invitation. If it's a command, it's actually adding to the burden that they're already feeling. He's talking to weary, burdened people, and he's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me, and I'll give you rest. It's a gentle invitation, not a burdensome command. Then he says, he's talking about the weary. The word weary there is from the Greek word Kapiao, which means labor or toil that reduces strength, trouble, weariness, fatigue, even could also include worry to the point of exhaustion. Summing it up, to be exhausted physically, mentally, and emotionally, that is weary. That's what Jesus is meaning when he says, if that's you, if you're physically exhausted, if you're emotionally exhausted, if you're mentally exhausted, you qualify, I want you to come to me. And then he talks about those carrying heavy burdens. Again, the Greek word for it, so it's talking about the freight of a ship, and it's talking about an overloaded ship. It means to overload, to put too much weight on it. He's saying, if you are carrying too much weight, if people have imposed too much on you, too much of a burden on you, come to me. I'm going to take that burden. You've heard the, the proverb says, casting you care, all your cares on him because he cares for you. Those that carry heavy burdens. What are those heavy burdens? Well, it could be the load of sin, shame, and guilt because we're all born sinners and we do carry a heavy burden of that before we have come to Jesus, right? But I think the context includes another kind of burden as well. If we look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, it says they crush people, talking about the religious leaders, with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Same word, burden there. It says they put these, they crush people with these burdens. The scribes and the Pharisees, their religion was meant to honor God, but it actually had the effect of condemning people to hard labor. 
That is the context that Jesus is talking to people in here when he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. You know, the law and the burdens were all about doing. Jesus said, come. Coming to Jesus is all about trusting. Think about that. If you're going to come to him, it's because you're trusting. You're not going to come to him if you're weary and heavy burdened. And he says, hey, come over here. I've got the answer. You're going to be skeptical to start with. And if you're skeptical today, if you're here today or you're online today, and you're thinking, oh, I'm still not sure about that coming to Jesus thing, that's okay. Because when you're weary and heavy burdened, Jesus just gives you that invitation. But he's saying, if that's you, come to me. Come to me. And trust me. And I will give you rest. The word rest from the Greek word anapeo. It means to cease, to be quiet, to recreate, or to refresh. Jesus says, if you're weary, if you're carrying heavy burdens, I want you to trade those for this. Trade those for rest. That sounds like a good deal to me. I don't know about you. Anybody? Are you too weary and tired to say yes and raise your hand? Come on. That's a great deal. And it seems simple enough, but why will we walk out of here and go through this week weary and heavy burdened? Why? I would suggest to you that the key to coming to Jesus, the way that he's talking about here, the way that he wants us to, is this. Accepting this invitation to come requires humility. And you know what? We as human beings, especially in the Western world, aren't really good at being humble. Because being humble means that we admit that we're weary. It means that we admit that we are carrying these heavy burdens. We admit that, you know what? We've been working hard trying to work out those heavy burdens ourselves. We admit that we are inadequate, that we can't do it alone, that we don't have all the answers. See, that's what coming to Jesus requires. Now it's getting harder, isn't it, when we understand what it really takes. It takes humility. It takes us admitting those things. And it requires an interruption. His invitation requires an interruption to the way that we're doing things now. Because what we want to do, we want to read that verse, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I'll give you rest. And we'll say, Lord, I'm coming to you. Take it. And then we go out the door and we keep trying to fix our heavy burdens and our weariness by ourselves. And it makes us more tired, more exhausted, more weary. And then we're disappointed because God didn't answer the prayer. Does that make sense to anybody else? You know, that's what we do. That's what I do. <sighs> Confession. So often, I'm weary, carrying heavy burdens, and I'm trying to give them to God, but when I give them to God, then I go and look at my spreadsheet. <sighs> look at the, the documents I'm trying to negotiate with other people that we work with or whatever. Try to get the next year of sermon series all planned out heavy burdens. Work with people whose lives aren't going the way they thought they were going to go to and take on those heavy burdens. 
we need to stop and actually give that to God and say, hey, God, you know what? I'm inadequate. I actually can't help Joe. His problem's bigger than I can fix. That's for me, right, when I'm help, trying to help Joe? I'm going to give that to you because that, that, that one's in my too hard basket, God. Please take that one so I'm not carrying that heavy burden myself. Whatever yours is, think about it that way. Coming to him means changing direction, and that changing direction may mean leaving other things behind. It means trusting him rather than yourself, trusting him rather than others, trusting him rather than the government, trusting him rather than religious rituals. Wow, this is a church. You're telling us don't trust the things that we do at church? No, I'm not telling you don't trust those, but don't trust in those to carry your burdens. The invitation to come is first and foremost an invitation to salvation, to try to restore a right relationship with the Father through him. Jesus gives that invitation. He says, come, find rest. I will give you rest from all the guilt and all the shame, all the feeling of inadequacy, all the trying and working hard to appease God. That's the invitation. And friends, the reason that we don't rest, I've concluded by looking at Jesus' invitation to rest, is that we're too proud often to admit we need him. We need to come in humility to accept that invitation. So Jesus gives the invitation for rest. And then he takes it further. He says, I want to give you rest. But oh, there's so much more. There's so much more I want for you. Look at verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. He says, take my yoke. He's saying, join with me. Partner with me. This is an invitation to discipleship. The first invitation is an invitation to salvation. Just come to me and I will give you rest. This is an invitation to finding rest through discipleship, through growing in him, through that, making that relationship more intimate. Now, a yoke, for those of you who aren't farmers from the first, second century, um, is a, an implement that, it's a, U, it's a U-shaped thing with a board, and two oxen or other animals, donkeys, whatever, would be placed in that together, and they would pull the burden. Now, that yoke makes the burden easier to pull. Jesus is saying, I want you to yoke together with me. I want you to partner together with me. So that's the idea. Rabbis would actually use this word speaking of their students. They would use yoke. And in an ancient Jewish writing, uh, there, there's a statement that says, put your neck under the yoke of the teacher and let your soul receive instruction. So that's what Jesus had in mind here when he said, take my yoke upon you. We know that because his next statement was, let me teach you. Let me teach you. Learn from me, if you will. To learn means to be a disciple, to be a student, to place ourselves in submission to that teacher. That's what Jesus is asking for. He's inviting those who have been rolled in the school of legalism and bondage and soul slavery to a new school. He's saying, yeah, you tried it that way. You got weary. You got burdened. Come to me. Let me teach you. 
It's going to end up different, I promise you. I've got something different to offer you. My yoke is different. (coughs) People's weariness comes from enduring the burdens of sin, shame, guilt, and enduring the burdens of trying to work that out themselves and appease God and keep all the rules. But a fair question would be, for these weary, burdened people, Jesus just said, I'm going to give you rest. Then he says, and I actually want to be your teacher. I want you to submit to me and be a disciple of mine. What are you going to say if Jesus is saying this to you? You're going to say, hmm, I'm not 100% sure. Why would I trust you? Why would I submit to you? Why do I want to learn from you? And Jesus gives the answer. He says, because I am humble. Now, before we look at what Jesus said, I want to back up a little bit and just say, well, besides the fact that he is God and he created the universe and he died for our sins and he defeated death in the grave and rose again. Now, those are all a lot of good reasons to say, yeah, okay, I'll be your student. I'll learn from you. But Jesus says, besides all that, I'm humble. I am humble. Literally, it means made low. He says, I'm not too proud to help you. I'm not too good to help you. I'm here for you. I want to meet you where you are, on your journey, in your weariness, in your tiredness, wherever you're at. I'm humble enough to go there. That's why you can learn from me. And then he says, I am gentle. That word gentle means strength under control. He says, I am strong enough to help you, but I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to be gentle with the way I instruct you. He says, my yoke is easy to bear. It's because I'm with you in it. I'm carrying it with you. I'm carrying the load with you. The burden is light. It doesn't mean there are no expectations when we follow Jesus. It doesn't mean he doesn't desire things from us. It means it's manageable by his grace and goodness. Jesus' yoke is easy. Not because... It makes no demands, and there no, and it's lighter per se. It's because you enter a discipleship relationship with Him, and you're partnered together with Him to fulfill those things. Then He says, "You will find rest for your souls." Contrast that with the statement, verse twenty-eight, when He says, "I will give you rest." He says, "I'll give you rest." Then He says, "You'll find rest for your souls." It's a little bit of a different word there. And this second one actually means inner peace. That's why it's talking about the soul. So you could read it. If you let me teach you and you learn from me, you will find peace for your souls. Think about it that way. You can find peace. This invitation is to a deepening relationship with him, one that brings rest for our souls. And, you know, I think for many of us in the room and online and Christians everywhere around the world, people who have said yes to Jesus to come to Jesus, I think often we don't experience this level that he's asking, this discipleship level, this I'm growing more intimate in you level. The invitation to come requires humility, but the invitation to discipleship requires another step for us. Accepting the invitation to discipleship requires hunger requires hunger. Let me help you understand that. What do I mean? Well, our appetites dictate our activities, okay? 
Your appetite dictates your activities. Think about it for a minute. If you're hungry, what do you do? You eat, physically hungry. You, you eat when you're hungry to make that go away. Your appetite dictates what you do. If you are someone who is just passionately committed to making money, what are you going to do? You're going to pursue that with everything. You're going to work hard. You're going to work long hours. You're going to change jobs 1,400 times looking for that next step and that better one. You're going to start 14 businesses because you want to make money. And you're going to pursue that with everything you have. You're going to invest every amount of energy you can into that. Some have a passionate desire for power. They want to climb the corporate ladder and they want to be the boss. They don't even care that much about the money. They just want the power and control. So what are they going to do? They're going to invest in that. They're going to invest in their education, their training, whatever it takes to, to take those next steps. The same is true in our spiritual life. What will drive someone towards wealth what will drive someone, even health. People will eat well and exercise and all that because they are so passionate about it. Their appetite drives the activity. In our spiritual life, we need that hunger, that appetite for a deepening relationship with God. We need to be hungry for him and that experience of him. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I think the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament or two-thirds of the New Testament, said it very well in Philippians chapter 3. Now, Paul, before he came to Jesus, come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, Paul was not a nice guy. He was one of these religious leaders, and he persecuted Christians and things. Then he came to Jesus, and he spent the rest of his life pursuing Christ and here's what he said in uh, Philippians chapter 3. He's just explained his pedigree. How, that this is all the things that were good about me. are all the, the uh, degrees I had. And this is all the stuff that uh, I could, all the things I could get accolades for. And he says this. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I come, become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. I hope you listened closely to those words because that is a man who came to Jesus and had a passionate hunger to know him intimately. He was desperate 
for more of Jesus. Not more head knowledge, but experiential. Do you hear all those experiential things he said? I want to experience him. Even the suffering, I want that experience in my life because I want to know him more intimately, more, more, more. If there's any more to know, I want to know it. I want to experience it. I want to be there. That's what Paul said. So, for you and I, do we have that hunger? Do we want that? We want our weariness and our burdens to go away. But is that kind of enough? For some, I think it is. I think that we don't, we, we want our weariness and burdens to go away and we want our eternity settled. But do we really want to have that intimate relationship and go deeper and deeper and know him? Like Paul said there. I think there's some barriers. One would be our hunger and thirst for other things. There's only so many things you can dedicate your life to, right? And the pursuit of whatever. I gave you a list earlier. Those things can distract us to the point where there's no room left for that appetite for God to grow and develop. And it squeezes out our hunger for God. Another barrier is that in our, especially in our Western society, we want everything now. We want it quick and easy, fast, everything. We don't want to slow down. We're too fast-paced for our own good, and our, uh, the expectations are on us are great. I got a note from a missionary this past week, a missionary friend in West Africa, and he closed the note saying this. Hope you guys, and this is from memory, this isn't a direct quote, but hope you guys are not going too hard and burning out. Pace here is different. No burnout on the radar. And I think we do that to ourselves because we just want to run so hard. Why? To get one more thing, to do one more thing, to get the kids in one more sport or one more, one more activity, one more church activity even, by the way. Three barriers. Third one is that potentially we get too busy doing Christian stuff. And yes, I know we're in church and I know I want you to do Christian stuff. I want you to engage more and more and more. But I want you to think for just a moment about food. When we are hungry, what do we do? We go to the refrigerator, go to the pantry, and what do we grab? Whatever's quick, whatever's easy, right? Sometimes, you know, my, my breakfast most mornings is a banana. Why? I like eggs and bacon, okay? Too hard, okay? Banana comes close to being too hard because I have to peel the thing, okay? <laughs> so I make breakfast utilitarian, okay? That's what you do. Now, when we do that, when we snack, we fool that hunger, right? We, we satisfy it for the moment. But what, when you're hungry, well, your body's saying, I need nutrition. And we're not getting that, right? When our grandkids come over, they know where the lollies are. They know where the biscuits are, and they go straight for them. And sometimes when, uh, when they come in and they'll, they'll ask, 
And they've already had one because they know where they are and they found it. But the times when they ask and they haven't already had one, if they're asking me, I'll say one of two things. One is, uh, no, you need to wait till after dinner. Or if I'm lazy, I'll say, go ask mom and dad. You know, mom and dad have to say yes, so then I'm not the bad guy. That's really the motive there. So I'll say one of those two things. And you know what they do? They go ask grandma. <laughs> and you know what Deanna does? Sure, have all the lollies. And then they don't want to eat their dinner. Right? Right? So they're killing their hunger with junk food that's not good for them. You know, sometimes when we think about our hunger for God, it's possible we have a desire and a passion for God, a hunger, but we satisfy it by snacking on God things rather than going deeper. We watch another YouTube video or another reel or something. And by the way, we have YouTube videos and reels and we push that stuff out there for you because we want you to have access to those things. But friends, if that is the end of your nourishment, if that's all you ever do, can I challenge you that you might need to go deeper. You might need to look for substance to fill the hunger, to nourish that relationship with God. You know, we have things I've always loved in church life. We have camps that youth go to. I think our youth are going on a camp in a couple of weeks. And that's a great moment. They come back excited. And a few weeks later, then they're back to where they were. As adults, we go to conferences and we get all energized and charged up. And woo, I'm going to take on hell with a squirt gun now. And then we go back to work. We go back to our families and back to normal life. You see, those are the, the snacks to fill that hunger, and they're very important. But those moments should create movement in us that continues to grow, continues to go, and on and on and on. So what does all this have to do with us? Where do you find yourself today? You know, one, one tool that we've got for you is uh, the, the quiet time tool. Thinking about the snacking, and uh, there's a picture of that up there. Yes, see, there it goes. You know, our quiet time is really simple. It gives you a Bible passage to read, then it asks two questions. What is the writer saying? How do I apply this to my life? Some devotional tools will have a verse or half of a verse that you read, and then it gives a couple of paragraphs of what the author thought about it. And those are helpful, but those are the snacking. You're reading somebody else's quiet time, something they got from God. When you use a tool like this, you're reading the Bible and you're trying to apply it to your own life. So I commend that to you. We actually printed up some more today in case you want to grab those. But I want to ask you, are you weary? Are you burdened? And do you find rest elusive? If that's you today, Jesus wants to help you. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. Friends, we have to come in humility and trade weariness for rest. It's a good deal. We have to learn in hunger to find lasting peace. You like that? Is that reasonable? Can you, can you, can you, let's try this. I want you to stand up. Go ahead and stand up. I want you to say it with me. All right? On three. One, two, three. Come in humility. Trade weariness for rest. Learn in hunger. 
find lasting peace. Now, I want to make it personal. That's easy for us just to quote that. I'm going to make it personal for you. So, in humility, I trade my weariness for rest. So, if that's you today, if you need to do that, say that with me. In humility, I trade my weariness for rest. One more time. In humility, I trade my weariness for rest. And then the next one. In hunger, I will seek you and find peace. In hunger, I will seek you and find peace. I want to pray over you right now. Because I want this to be true for everyone. I I have a sense that those two words, humility and hunger, are going to stick around for us this year. I believe God's actually given us those words for this church, for this year. Hunger and humility. And I want to pray that over you right now. And then we're going to do something special. Father, thank you for the people in front of me right now. Thank you for the people who are online and for those that have participated and listened to your word. And Lord, you have rocked my thinking a lot this week about this. This whole thing about being humble and being hungry. And Lord, I pray that you would increase that in my own life. Make me more humble. Make me, most of all, more hungry. And Lord, I pray that over all the people that are standing in front of me right now. Lord, whether they want this prayer over them or not, I pray it over them. Lord, I pray for humility in people's lives. I pray for humility in family relationships. I pray for humility for them at their jobs. I pray for humility for them in their relationships with people here at church even. And Father, I pray for a spiritual hunger to overtake each and every person here that will not be able to be satisfied, that there will be a a driving passion to go deeper and deeper and deeper with you this year. Father, I pray that over these people right now, and I pray that over myself, that you would give us that today. In Jesus' name, amen.